Amen. Thanks to all our musicians this morning. And we want to turn in our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. And we, if you haven't been with us, we've been working our way through this epistle where Paul's expressing his concern for the church in general there in Galatia and the individuals that are wrestling with issues regarding specifically their personal salvation and where they're going in life. Wednesday night, we looked at a short paragraph. We're not going to go back all through that this morning, but let me just uh, look at it for just a second to set up what we're looking at in this morning's passage. But, but Paul, writing in chapter 4, talked about their former enslavement to things that were not even gods that pretended to be false gods, and the Galatians had in their past experience before they heard of Christ, been entrenched in those worlds, in those value systems. And so he asked them, how is it that now that you've come to Christ or you've been introduced to the gospel, how can you think about turning back again to that which he says is weak and worthless, elemental things of the world? And then he closed that paragraph with this thought, I fear that somehow perhaps I have labored in vain over you. And you go back on your own and you read Acts 13 and 14 and you see Paul and Barnabas preaching across the island of Cyprus and then they go up into what we call Turkey, into Galatia, the incredible experiences they had there, the persecutions, but the victories and people turning from absolute spiritual darkness to Christ. And now words coming back to Paul that a lot of that is changing and a lot of that's being second-guessed. Some are leaning toward a, a radical Pharisaic Judaism that will take them away from freedom in Christ and others are just kind of walking away, period. Sounds kind of like the American culture today. And so Paul says, uh, my concern that is, is that uh, chapters 13 and 14 of Acts were a waste of time, that it was all in vain, that I did all of that, uh, only to learn later that it didn't stick. You didn't get it. It was not a permanent take. And so he reaches back and he says, uh, before we just walk away from this, let me plead with you again not to go down false roads toward wrong solutions. So it brings us to uh, this morning's passage, verse 12. I beg of you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong. Sort of a strange verse. Uh, the Greek language, kind of like most languages, if you're speaking in a very familiar way, you can skip a lot of words. In the Greek language, you do that very commonly, just leaving out uh, verbs that are just kind of implied by the context. The problem is when you come along 2,000 years later and you read it, you're not quite sure what fit in there. The Galatian readers probably uh, had uh, the text exactly in their heads. But Paul writes, and he says very clearly, you become as I am. Now, that sounds prideful. Uh, for most folks, that would be a prideful thing. But it really should be a very natural thing in Christianity, if we are maturing in Christ, we ought to be able to look at uh, our children or our 
grandchildren or to people in the church and say, hey, follow me. It's not bragging. It's saying, I have found great things in Christ. Follow me. Let me show you the way. That's really what discipleship's about. So Paul writes back to these churches that he started, and he says, you need to be like me. You need to follow the trail that I've gone down. You need to be like that. And then here's this uh, strange because clause. And all he really says is because I also as you. So you have to go back and supply some verbs and you can do that. Uh, you can do multiple choice. And they all are good thoughts, whichever way you come down to it. Most translators will say, uh, because I also am as you are. Now, if that's what Paul said, what he's doing is with the Galatians is connecting with them. He's relating to them and he's saying, you're like me, I'm like you. You need to you need to come to your senses and follow me down the trail of the gospel. You can follow me because I'm just one of you, and I'm leading you by calling and by example. <clears throat> There's another possibility since he, all he says is, because I also, as you, you can kind of put it in the past, and, and Paul might be saying, uh, and I also was as you are. If that's what Paul says, and I, I kind of like that, if that's what Paul's saying, he's saying, what you're tampering with in Galatia is what I used to be. You're reliving my testimony. And Paul would be looking back to those days when he was the persecutor of the church. He was a zealous Pharisee. He was a keeper to the, of the law beyond what the Bible calls for. He had rules and, and agendas uh, for the cause of religion that was not the cause of Christ. He was, uh, in that sense, a Galatian indeed, according to the pattern of these Galatians, or some of them. And so he may be saying, what you think you want to be, that's what I was. And I don't want to be that because I found something much better, so you need to be as I am. And by the way, you've done me no wrong. I don't hold anything against you, Galatians. In other words, uh, you're free and your connection to me, I'm not uh, begrudging you anything. I'm not bitter. I'm not upset. Uh, he says, but you know that it was because of bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Well, this is a challenging paragraph. This is another one of those places where it could go uh, a couple of ways, and the same word can be rendered two different ways. And uh, the most popular way to render that among English translators is, you know that I've preached the gospel to you because of my weaknesses, which may not make a lot of sense at first glance. Um, if that's what he means by that, that means circumstances occurred when I was there that providentially intervened, that kept me where I was so that I did what I did, and you resulted uh, from that, your response to the gospel was a result of that. So something about what Paul experiences in his flesh and his physical challenges results in him preaching the gospel in that particular location. Maybe it, it limited him there and kept him there for that purpose. <clears throat> There's another way you can take the exact same uh, Greek preposition and translate it this way. You've come to know that I preach the gospel to you through the weakness of the flesh. To me, that makes a little more sense. Paul's saying, when I was there, I was struggling. 
uh, whatever, and he never defines what was wrong, but something's physically wrong with Paul. In another place, he's got a problem that he prays, uh, he says three times that he might be delivered from that, and God's response was, my grace is sufficient. So there's a struggle that Paul has, and it may be that he's referring to that, or part of that. It may be that all those persecutions you read about in the book of Acts that happened in this area, uh, the stonings, uh, the beatings, all of that were part of things that were happening to him physically. And he's saying, when I was there, <clears throat> it was physically tough. It was just a challenge uh, to even be there. But through the storm, through the adversity, I preached the gospel to you. I brought it to you anyhow. And he says, and that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe. You were good to me, Galatians. Thanks, Galatians. You cared for me. You ministered to my physical needs while I preached the gospel to you. It was not an embarrassment to you. It was not a, a pain to you. It was not an inconvenience to you. <clears throat> you saw me through those trials. Now, what is Paul doing here? Paul is appealing to their relationship. I, I came to you because I cared about you. You took care of me because you cared about me. How come we can't just go back to where we were and go forward on that foundation? That's what the whole book of Galatians is about. Uh, how, can't, how come we can't just get back to where we were in those days? He says, but you received me as an angel of God. Angel or angelos can also be translated messenger. You're, you could say you received me as a messenger of God. As Christ Jesus himself, he says, when I spoke to you in those settings, when I preached the gospel to you, when I taught in your synagogues, when I taught in the streets, <clears throat> you in Galatia, the ones that he's writing to anyhow, not all of them, but the ones that he's writing back to that are the ones that have made up these early churches, you listen to me just as though God were speaking. And again, Paul's not a braggart. He doesn't uh, he's not boasting. He's just with great humility saying, when I shared the gospel with you, you received it as though the Lord Jesus himself was standing in front of you. The messenger of God, indeed, even Jesus was sharing the message with you. That's how you received it. Remember Galatians? Remember how it was? You remember your eagerness to hear? Maybe somebody here this morning, you look back at an earlier time in your life when you were considerably more excited about the gospel than you are today. And reading through Galatians, you might wrestle with what happened along the trail. And if Paul were to write a personal letter to you today or text you today, he might say, remember how you felt when you received the message just like God was speaking specifically to you, directly to you? Remember that, Galatians Remember how it was? And again, why can't we just get back to that? Why can't we be changed and shaped by that? Where then is that sense of blessing you had? Or your blessing is where? There again, it's another one. You see commentators come down uh, two entirely different ways on verse 15. They both make sense. They're both good. Uh, but some uh, will take it, <clears throat> as Paul is saying, because what he literally says is, your blessing is where? And if that's what he uh, means, he could, he'd be saying, uh, well, you were blessed in those days 
and something's missing today, where'd it go? Where's the blessing today? Well, what happened so that you don't feel it anymore? That the, the, the pure gospel is not your joy anymore. Or it could be Paul saying uh, uh, here, the NIV says, where then is your blessing of me now? Where did that go? When did you change how you feel about me? When did you change your heart uh, toward the missionary that came and preached the gospel to you? When did you change your heart concerning the simple gospel that was proclaimed in Galatia in Acts 13? When did all that shift gears? He says, for I bear witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. That's a strange verse, isn't it? It opens the door for a lot of speculation there <clears throat> that perhaps Paul's talking about his physical problem, uh, the, the challenges through which he preached the gospel. And it's been speculated that his eyesight was what he prayed about repeatedly, that God would heal. And God said, my grace is sufficient. And there's a lot of speculation about that. And so they, uh, those who come down in that camp uh, in verse 15 say, well, he's he couldn't see well. Something was wrong with his eyes. And, and, and they helped him, but they also had compassion. And if they could have, they would have given him their eyes. It's probably more likely that that's just a figure of speech. You'd have given me anything to be helpful, even your eyesight. And there was a figure of speech in that day that, that uh, acknowledged eyesight is an exceptional uh, blessing to have. And they were willing to give up even their eyesight for the Apostle Paul. That's how strong the bond was in those early days. And so Paul says, where's that sense of blessing? Where God was blessing you, but you were, ble you were blessing to me. You were uh, encouraging me in the mission. Where has that gone? How did that evaporate? Why are you thinking so differently? Why are you so willing to walk away from the simple, basic gospel? So I have become your enemy by telling you the truth? Is that to that point? They, in verse 17, they eagerly seek you. And they's not defined, but they is apparently the false teachers, uh, the Judaizers, the hyper-Pharisees that are calling them to a legalistic religious experience back to the rules. They eagerly seek you not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that, they will, so that you will seek them. They want you to join their movement. They don't want you to remain in the gospel where you were. They want you in their cult group or their, their false teaching. They want you to shift gears and follow them. For that to succeed, they've got to get you away from me, Paul says. You've got to get away from the gospel as I presented it, so that you are again open to the gospel as they present it, or religion, you couldn't even call it gospel, but religion as they present it. And they eagerly seek you, but it's not commendably. It's not for good. It's for no good, the NIV says. It's not what you really want at the end of the day. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you. And again, it's another tough verse, but Paul's probably saying, uh, I wish 
you thought about me when I'm not there like you treat me when I am there with respect and encouragement. He says that's the way it all just all be, always be. Uh, it's fine to be zealous, NIV says, provided the purpose is good. And to be also always not just when I am with you. It ought to be consistent through time. Verse 19, he says, my children, there's a heart connection of Paul with these people, my children, and then the rest of verse 19 uh, is just almost, you can put parentheses around it because the my children is going to go with verse 20, so just kind of keep that in mind for a second. My children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you, for whom I'm again in the pains of childbirth, Paul says. I'm struggling, Galatians, because I have a goal for you that you don't seem to have for yourselves right now. I have that goal out there for you. And until that comes to pass, it's though I'm in labor, you're my children, and I'm waiting for you to be delivered. And I'm told... Uh, that that's a, a challenging experience. I was present when all three of our children were born. Personally, I didn't think it was that bad. But <laughs> but you all know that that's a, a challenging time, but it's a time that gives birth to life. And Paul says, I'm struggling, less like an expectant mom. I'm struggling until... You are born anew and born conclusively and dramatically into Christ, and Christ is formed in you. That's my goal. I want you to not be aware that Jesus lived and died and rose again. I want you to be in Christ, growing in Christ. I want Christ formed in you so that you reflect his character, so that you're guided by who he is, that you're under his lordship that his spirit guides your your life. That's what Paul is in labor for, trying to see delivered in the lives of the Galatian believers. My children, he says, oh, my children, my dear children. But I could wish, verse 20 finishes the paragraph, I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone for I am perplexed about you. To change your tone would be uh, to be able to come there and on the basis of what happens, be able to communicate to them in a fashion other than this letter is flowing because the, the letter's confrontational. The letter's strong. And he says, I just want to be there with you all. And I want to go back to the time when you were growing in Christ and you were excited about the gospel And Jesus was central to your life. Oh, if we could just get back there, my children, he said in verse 19. My dear children, he says, for I'm perplexed about you. I'm struggling uh, over you, or you could translate it, I'm at a loss. Or I'm uncertain, I'm disturbed by you. Paul says, I just don't understand. The truth that you've been exposed to and where you find yourself today, it doesn't make sense. It's not spiritually rational. Oh, my children, 
I am perplexed. Paul really, really, really wants to see these people strong in Christ. I read through Galatians 4 many times this last week, and as I read it over and over again, I found myself wrestling with that issue. To what degree am I that burden for anybody, anywhere about spiritual matters? To what degree are we collectively as a church concerned with the spiritual well-being of others like that? Where you'd say, oh, my children, we are wrestling until we see Jesus being lived out in your life. Where do we say to others, I'm burdened and I'm perplexed because I, I'm struggling because you're struggling spiritually. And God won't remove that from my heart. I want to make two observations about our passage this morning as we try to move toward application of it before we leave this uh, setting. First observation, Paul wants relationships to be right, and he takes steps to bring that about. He wants things to be right, and he takes specific steps to bring that about. My dad was really good at that. He was not a spiritual giant. He was not a a Bible scholar. Uh, He was just a good guy, but whenever... Any two other people or somebody else in him, when something wasn't right, he couldn't sleep until it was right. And he would drive miles or make calls or do whatever it took to get that right, to settle it out. Paul wants the relationship between him and the Galatians to be right because more than that, he wants their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ to be right. So his first observation is, He takes steps to set right some relationships. Maybe there's a relationship in your personal experience this morning that needs to be made right between you and someone else, or maybe you know two other people that are struggling. It's a natural Christian thing to want to see those relationships righted. But a second observation, and you have to hurry to number two if you've touched on number one, Paul does not get relationships right at the expense of truth does not get relationships right at the expense of truth. Paul remains aware of the eternal significance of the issues being addressed in his relationship with the Galatians. It'd be easy for Paul to say, you know, we were, remember how good it was. I just want to be, I want it to be right. I want it to be good. And, and, you know, I love you. And I know you're doing things a little differently now. And you're thinking a little differently now. And your values have shifted a little bit. But that's okay because we have this special bond and I love you and you love me and and let's just go forward from there. That doesn't sound very much like the Apostle Paul. He never gets relationships right or harmonious at the expense of the truth. And the truth is the Galatians need Jesus. The Galatians need to be uh, under the lordship of Christ. They need to be recipients of the grace of God through Christ And anything short of that will not do. And so Paul is not calling them to harmony. He's calling them to truth. Now, when you deal with your friends or your family or maybe someday some context at the church and some of these kind of Galatian struggles are going on, your challenge is to get things right, but not at the expense of truth. Our challenge is to continue to set the truth before people and call them to it. And Paul would not let go of the Galatians with one hand clinging 
conclusively, desperately to the truth, he's reaching with the other to draw them back to Jesus Christ. These folks know the truth. They've, been, they've heard the gospel up to here. They had the apostle Paul and his buddy Barnabas preach to them and teach them. They've been exposed to the truth. The real issue is what will they do with that? And will they remain true to that? Or will they drift away into some counterfeit alternative? The world would like to suck you into uh, false religions and false value systems. We had a discussion at our house the other day. A couple of days ago, we were talking about uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and some of those other religions of the world and what they're really all about and sort of the, really the absurdity of some of that and the nonsensicalness of it. But uh, Paul says, no, no, there is a truth. There is a Savior. There is a Redeemer. And I'm reminding you that. I've taught you that before, and I'm calling you home to that. Now, let's get it right so that you go and go on uh, to a Spirit-filled life, which is going to be the subject of the next chapter. Don't retreat from freedom in Christ They are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone plus nothing. And to retreat into some version of you've got to do this and you've got to do that and all these rules and all these rituals and you've got to be a good Jew to be a good Christian and all that. Paul says, that's not the truth. You are, if that's where you are, that's what I was. But I am now free in Christ and I want you free in Christ in a joyful, liberated Christianity through which you indeed do serve the Lord victoriously. Well, I want to ask you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Father, we're grateful this morning for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the liberating message of the truth that Jesus came into our world and lived a perfect life and was crucified for our sins and rose victoriously on the third day. Lord, we are mindful that we need that plus nothing to be spiritually whole in Jesus. I pray for anyone here this morning who's never crossed that bridge, made that commitment to Christ. I pray that you'll give them believing faith and great encouragement in this hour. But I pray for many Christians uh, here today who are daily tempted by the world to gravitate toward things that are counterfeits and false trails. Immerse us, Lord, in your word and guide us toward your perfect path of truth. Sanctify us in truth as Jesus prayed. Uh, Thy word is truth, and Lord, we want to be a people of the truth. So help us, Lord, to be healed and to be healers and reconcilers, but in a reconciliation that centers on the centrality of Christ in us, the hope of glory. For we do pray in his name. Amen.